So, folks, how many of you have attended, you know, I know Christmas was ages ago now, but I'm going to go back to Christmas just for a bit. How many of you uh, attended a nativity play uh, this year? A uh, good number, about, probably getting near a half. Um, did um, any of your children feature? A few hands going up. Actually, two of my three children featured in nativity plays all those years ago. Um, Simon was three months old, but you can get away with quite a lot in a dark uh, stable. Uh, and my daughter, Louise, yes, my daughter, featured as Jesus as she was two weeks old. Now, you know, just have a think about the characters you find in a, uh, a, a story, uh, the nativity story or a nativity play. Um, think about them and then just turn to your neighbor and try and sort of name them all, okay? Okay, okay, that's enough. Uh, if you had any dinosaurs in there or kind of Walt Disney figures, they probably went to the wrong nativity play, but it's been known. We'll go back to the answer today in a minute, but I'm going to read a passage from the Bible, because today is one of those really big festivals in the church. Anybody know what it's called? It's called Epiphany. And Epiphany means the revealing, the, the opening, the kind of discovering something for the first time. And so I'm going to read uh, from... Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, and it's kind of the last bit, if you like, of the nativity, isn't it, in our plays. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who's been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage." When they had heard the king, they set out. And there, ahead of them, went the star that they'd seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by 
another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, some of those uh, people in the nativity story. Okay, would you like to stand up, please? Okay. So, um, you're going to stay standing if you've got everyone on my list. All right? Okay. There's one you might not have noticed. So sit down if you're here. Well, when you, you can sit down when I've finished and stay standing if you've got everyone on the list. Okay? So, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, the innkeeper. Oh, there's a guy lost a few now. Angels. Oh, a few more going down. Wise men, or three kings or magi, they all count. Uh, and then, you're, there's a lot of you standing. I'm going to add another one. Uh, I don't think you're going to get this one. Herod. Whoa, there's a few. Give them a round of applause for still standing. Sit yourself down. Have you seen Herod in a nativity play? Anybody seen Herod in a nativity play? One person. Excellent. Because no nativity story is really complete without Herod. Now, did you get a bit of a view of Herod from the passage we heard read? He was afraid when he heard the wise men from the east say that Another ki a king of the Jews had been, been born, and all Jerusalem with him. <laughs> the word that's translated um, as uh, he was frightened actually has the root of seismic. Do you know what seismic's about? What do you associate seismic with? Earthquakes, tremors. And interestingly, it's the same root, the word used at the resurrection. There is a tremor. Everything shakes. Herod was not somebody who would brook a rival king. Actually, I haven't got time to tell you how complex this man was, but he was extremely complex. And there's a lot been written about him historically. But basically, he was driven by fear. What a contrast when we hear about the wise men seeing the baby Jesus. They were filled with joy. Joy, fear. How do you want to live? With joy at the heart? That doesn't mean you're going to be happy about everything, but it does mean there's a sort of baseline. Joy. Joy and hope. That's what we're offered. This is what this story tells us about. And basically, we don't have the one who should be in the nativity play very often, once in here. It's the first time I've ever heard about Herod fixing being in the play because he's a bit scary, isn't he? He kind of puts a bit of a kibosh on the whole thing. 
But that's the way the world, before we see the fullness of God's new creation, is. It's got lots of things which could make us fearful. They're intimidating. And I, I'm not going on to say what happens next, but if you carry on reading Matthew's Gospel, you see how low Herod will sink and why he inquired of the wise men, why, how old, you know, how long has all this been going on when you saw the star? He wanted to know how old any rival king might be now. And by the way, you know, we talk about the three wise men. We don't know how many there were. There might have been a bit of a convoy, but they traveled a long way. Scholars think from Arabia. There's good evidence for that. But Herod, he's part of the story we don't like to mention. But it's really important that we have a whole view of how this good news that we receive in Christ, seeing God in the face of that uh, vulnerable baby given into our hands, we have a bigger picture of how difficult that time was. There is um, a book which uh, I heard somebody talking about by a man named Brendan Cox. Do you know who Brendan, how many of you, put your mitt in the air if you know, recognize the name Brendan Cox. If you recognize the name Joe Cox, put your hand in the air. A few more. Brendan Cox is the husband of the MP, Joe Cox, who was killed by an extremist uh, just before the European uh, referendum took place. And he has been writing a book. And in his book, I understand that he did an investigation of five European countries, and he discovered these interesting facts about them. When he listened to people, he listened to the stories, what's going on here? There was a similarity in all five of these European countries. And it was basically how the, how the country was being divided and what was going in the hearts of people. And actually we hear that ourselves here, don't we? And the first thing was that about a quarter of the population, 25%, were people who were generally happy with their life, everything was going swimmingly, you know, there wasn't a lot that was going to disrupt or disturb them. Yes, things happened, but they would get through it because they were privileged, they had enough money, they had secure employment, things seemed to be going well. The language of cosmopolitan was described to, to name these people. It was all right. The world was a good place for them. It was being kind to them. Their families were thriving. Education was going well. They had good resources. They had position. They were protected. A quarter of them. But then there was another quarter of people. And these people are described as filled with hatred, bitterness, and fear. 25% of people wandering around with inside of them these feelings. Hatred, bitterness, and fear. That's a, that's a lot of people, isn't it? And I'm, I'm thinking, hang on a minute. 
you know, we've got quite a few. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to stand up if your life is filled with hatred, bitterness and fear because that probably would just feed the, the hatred, bitterness and the fear, wouldn't it? But where? What's going on? Are there whole communities which are infected in this way? And the answer is, actually, it probably are. In fact, there are. It's not probably. It's just we may not be listening. We may not be looking. We may not be asking the right questions. We may not be going deep enough into where people are. Now, Anybody who can do their sums, which probably excludes uh, Joel from his uh, working on the calendar just now, uh, will realize there were some more people, weren't there? There were another. How many were there if we've had two quarters? Half. So you might be asking, as I would, what was going on in the other half of those people? And the truth of the matter is, that those half of people, they were people who were generally feeling anxious. Now maybe that, we'd probably be prepared to stand up and say if we felt a bit of anxiety. Because when you're watching the news, there's lots of things that will give you cause for anxiety, is there not? Some of you obviously don't watch the news. <laughs> when we read about Australia, you know Australia, it, the, the people really wondering how is this going to, how are we going to cope with this? Just the assassination in Iran of a, a guy who will now become a martyr to the cause and set an already unstable world into a bigger position of instability. It's not, it's not great, is it? So what about those 50% of people in the middle who are anxious? Do you know what they're doing is they're asking, what can I believe in? What can I believe in that makes sense of this world and that gives me something to hope for? And not something that's a fairy story. And unfortunately, a lot of people in our world think that the Christian faith is a fairy story or equivalent to it. They begin not to see it's a fairy story when they see people give their lives sacrificially and with joy and hope in the most difficult situations. But generally speaking, that's how many, many people receive it. But there are also others who really wish that this had something in it. And they look at people who've got faith and they say, have you heard this said to you? I wish I had your faith. How many of you have, you know, put up your hand if you've ever had anybody say to you, I wish I, I had your faith. There's a lot of us. Well, the, the faith comes to all of us in different ways. There's no kind of cookie-cutter faith program. If you come to Alpha, and I really would encourage you, if you've not come to Alpha before, or if you come before, and actually you didn't really, you, there was a lot that kind of passed you by, come again. Come again. Everybody comes with a different story and with similarities but a unique story because we are all unique. The people in the middle who are feeling some anxiety, asking what it is worth believing in, 
are drifting to those who've got a story. And unfortunately, the story of those who are fearful and who are filled with hate and bitterness is drawing some people in because at least they've got a story. We need to have our story, the story of God in Christ, told more clearly, told from our own perspective, told knowing that there are some questions we can't answer, but trusting that we believe in a God who comes in the most vulnerable way and comes into our lives with all their threat as well as all their promise. A story. You know, I didn't say anything. I was glad that um, Joel filled in the fact that I'm the bishop of a diocese and a diocese is a county-sized uh, unit of church. And um, we all work together across that in the Church of England, in the Diocese of Bristol. Um, and the Church of England has got some patterns in its worship which can be really, can be really dull <laughs> and can be really, really important. Really important. Like saying what we believe. Saying it regularly so we know it. And it's in our hearts. And if somebody put a gun against our head, we could actually just say it. And also we have communion services where we, we do what Jesus reminds us of. And I know you have it. Is it monthly you have them here? In one of the communion services, there's a kind of little refrain. In the Anglican church, we kind of like having these little phrases that we join into. Okay, so if I say, we like having these little phrases that, you say, see, you're all Anglicans by birth, aren't you? What we say in, this, in one of these communion services, we start by saying, this is his story. We hear something about what God's done and we say, this is his story. This is our song. And then it changes a bit further in, and it says, this is our story. This is our song. This is our story. This is the story of humanity. It's a story we share, and it's a story we have for ourselves. This is the story that is part of my life. Two years ago, I think it was, the Bishop of Lahore, and Lahore is a, a, a big city in Pakistan, was speaking to a group of people, I think it was a, a, a big gathering of synod, uh, about his situation in Lahore. And, I, and you probably know that Pakistan is quite a troubled country. There are very few Christians there, and the Christians are um, subject to a lot of extremist activity. People are killed in churches. People are bombed. Churches are bombed. And the people guilty of doing those things are not always brought to justice. And there is a lot of bias and uh, bias against the Christians. What that bishop told us that really stuck with me is how he said, this is what happens. We're few, but actually the Muslim people, the ordinary people, come and come to our churches, not on the Sunday, but they come to Christian people and they ask us to pray for them. They ask for our prayers. 
There is something about their lives in the midst of all the troubles and the difficulties, in the persecution and the violence, that they say, we see something in you that is a, maybe a better story than we're trying to live out. When I, um, Patton Church is a wonderful example of a dream being given to us, which is being, with all you gathered here, you know, if, if, if I could imagine that when we first started talking about this way back in 2016, you know, I would have been jumping up and down and hitting the ceiling in my house. But when we, um, when Bishop Viv, she is my, she's my boss, so technically she's your boss too, Joel. Um, and, and Bishop Viv was being introduced to the diocese. She was doing a little travel around. And um, there was some interviewing going on at the Patton store, knowing that we were going to be inhabiting it. And that we bought it already. And I was interviewed by one of the BBC um, reporters, Karen, who I, I love, I think she's a fantastic reporter. And she was f f talking to me and asking, throwing questions at me. And then she threw me this question. She said, so Bishop Lee, what's Swindon gonna do for you? I'm thinking, and I, I was, you know, I'm not normally stuck for a word as you can probably see, but I was then. And she was recording me, I said, stop the recorder, Karen. <laughs> I really, Swindon's got people, I said. <laughs> but what, what are you really asking me? And what I discovered with a little conversation later then, but a much more long conversation over a meal, is what she wanted to do was tell me about the people she met in Swindon, who were the people who were really struggling. And from the word go, maybe, you know, as soon as they got old enough to get a sense of what was going on, they felt they were near the bottom. They felt they were near the bottom. I told you, you know, I've only just been sharing about my dad going to prison for three months in Brixton jail. He was, he was, um, he, he went bankrupt. That was his, that was his story, unfortunately. Even when he became a Christian, he still went bankrupt because he thought God would sort it out. Doesn't work like that, Dad. But, but you know, so I came from quite a tricky household. My daughter and my daughter, I always, I've, I've got a habit of calling my sister my daughter. I must get out of that. I'm not that much older than her. Um, but, but she had anorexia and was burning herself and cutting herself way before that became more knowledgeable, that that sort of stuff happened. Because she'd been raped by someone. This is, this is the kind of background that you could easily kind of feel overwhelmed and never come through it. There are people in our town living behind those houses who have very different lives from many of you, and the Lord God wants us to listen to them and connect with them. I get quite emotional about this. I bought some tissues. <laughs> what Matthew says in that reading is 
And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you, the least, shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Gosh, we need shepherds, don't we? People who love and who care. And that's not just about the Joels, the bishops, the clergy, the people who've got an official title. It's about all of us. So, we have a particular calling in Swindon with other churches. There are other churches trying to do this. But we've been resourced in an amazing way by the Diocese of Bristol, by the Church of England, and by the amazing team that's drawn together here to do something very special. God seems to be doing something very special in our town with the churches. People who didn't really talk to one another as church leaders are now praying with one another. A school has been built in Wichelstow, which is going to have an amazing Christian ethos. And it's not there to be the best. Well, it is there to be the best, but not at the expense of others. To actually take people who maybe schools can't cope with. To go for the people who most need more help. And so, this church has been called to serve Swindon and invite people into family. And do you know what? Families are not always easy, are they? Is it just mine? Just ask my wife? Call fam, serve Swindon. That's what we want to be known by. And to call people, invite people into family with all its tensions, but with all its love and all its support, all its challenge. You know, I need family who can challenge me. and Say, you didn't do a very good job there, Lee. What's the matter? <laughs> we need that. So, we have been given an epiphany. We've been shown today, and we remember it today, that the gospel, this good news, is for everybody. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. The Jewish people had forgotten that they'd been blessed to be a blessing for the world. We've been blessed and given this story so that we can bless others, even those who really don't like us and who don't believe in what we're about. We're going to still bless them. That'll really annoy them. <laughs> and so there we are. We've been given a dream. Dreams actually come up a lot in those early nativity stories, don't they? Joseph got three of them. You know, he gets told, after he's made the decision to quietly get rid of Mary... He's told not to do it. And then he's told later on, you've got to ship out of here because Herod's on your tail. And then now it's time to go to Nazareth. Dreams. Folks, God speaks to us in our dream life. And if you don't always understand it, talk to somebody. See what's going on. We've been given a dream to turn into reality. And there are going to be challenges I'm not sure how long I've been speaking for, but I'm about to wind up. 
I'm sure you're glad to hear that, Joel. Um, and it, uh, it involves a tattoo. You know, I, I've been, I'm too old for a tattoo. Although I think David Dimbleby or one of the Dimblebys got a scorpion on his arm an age later than me. But my, my, my second son, Simon, uh, got a tattoo when he was, when he finished his A-levels, okay? And he had on his arm put the name Rayfield, our surname. I said, Simon, are you a bit worried you're going to leave your arm somewhere? and <laughs> Need somewhere to, you know, find it. Well, anyway, he did it. But more recently, well, a little while after that, he had another tattoo done. Now, my son Simon is, is not a card-carrying Christian, but I was shocked by what he had tattooed on his, on his breast. I can't remember whether it was the left or the right. But, but this is what he said. He had, when I saw him in the swimming pool, faith is to believe what you do not yet see. The reward of faith is to see what you believe. Faith is to believe what you do not yet see. The reward of faith is to see what you believe. Those are words from one of the early church fathers from the 4th to the 5th century, a man named Augustine. I never thought I'd see that on a tattoo on my son's breast. <laughs> But that's what the wise men did. They traveled. They saw a star. And they invested. And they saw. 